Our comfort is in that God and Jesus Christ is unchangeable. That He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That His grace towards us does not change. It does not there one day and gone the next. And that He is the King of glory. And we approach Him by His grace. Give thanks to the Lord for the grace that He has shown us in Jesus Christ. We turn now to the preaching of God's Word, where God speaks to us through His Word and through the preaching of His Word. Our text this morning comes from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 39. If you could turn with me there in your Bibles as we read this text for us this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you from the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, by the, that, by the, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that the none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you God. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's call upon the Lord now in prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, we come now to your word and we ask that you would speak to us. That Lord, you are the God who opens the eyes of the blind, you open the ears of the deaf, you raise the dead to life. Lord, we ask that you would do those things in our hearts this morning through the preaching of your word, that the gospel that is the power of God for salvation would work this morning in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Don't close your Bible when you start to preach. (laughs) This text may be an interesting one for you this morning. You may be wondering, why are we looking at the end of Paul's ministry in the church of Ephesus? Why would we start here as I begin my ministry among you, and as we begin this new chapter in the life of the church of Providence? Why would we look at a passage about the end of a ministry when we're about to begin this new phase of ministry? Why reflect upon this? Well, my hope is this morning to show us that it's important for us to reflect on the end as we begin something new, as we enter this new chapter, that we need to look to the past to guide us in the future. As our title of the sermon says, it says, Forward to the Past. Some of you may have already picked upon a reference to a movie, Back to the Future, where Doc says to Marty McFly, when he ends up back in 1955, through this time machine that takes him there, and realizes that he's stuck there, has no way to get back because he has to generate 1.21 gigawatts of energy to send him back to the future. Fortunately, Marty McFly had a piece of paper that told him when lightning would strike at the exact moment in the town that they were in. So they devised a plan where they would connect with that bolt of lightning to generate the the energy needed to send Marty McFly back to the future. But here today, we are not going back to the future. We are looking forward to the past, that we look to the past to guide us into the future. This is the essence of the Christian faith is that we look back to the cross to guide us in the future. But here I would like to help us look at this passage as guidance for us as we look to the years ahead of ministry that I will do among us, that the elders will do among us, and that we will do together as a church. And Paul himself looks to the past, the present, and the future in this passage. You could even lay this passage out as the past that Paul has done, the past work that Paul has done, the present where he is going to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what awaits him there, and the future ministry for the elders in the church in Ephesus. And he tells them what they ought to expect in ministry. Paul setting himself as an example of what ministry ought to look like. But I think there's a a truth here for all of us this morning, not just for ministry leaders, not just for pastors or elders, but for all of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ and belong to his church. Ultimately, I believe this passage is about the Christian life as one of giving away ourselves, giving away ourselves for the sake of others in the church. This is where Paul's message to the elders ends, that he says it is What Jesus told us, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And Paul is showing throughout this passage what that looks like in his own life and what it will look like in the life of the church of Ephesus. 
And that is what I hope for us to see today, that what it means for us to give away ourselves that is more blessed to give than it is to receive. What it means for us to give ourselves for the sake of others in the church. And there's several things that we need to do this, that this text gives us this morning. There's things that we need to be able to give ourselves away to others in the church. The first thing that we need is we need courage. We need courage to do this. It is not an easy task that is given to us. Paul begins by setting himself as the example. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all all humility, with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Paul sets forth himself as the one who did not shrink back, who was not afraid, who did not recoil at declaring the whole counsel of God, as he repeats later in this passage. He says and says, I am an example of what it means to have courage, to not shrink back, but to go boldly and confidently in the ministry that God has given to me and that he's given to these elders. And Paul is an example of, uh, to all of us of what courage looks like. That we are called to exemplify Paul and ultimately our Savior in this. And we need courage because, as Paul says, the Christian life is a public life. The first thing that Paul tells us in this passage, he says, you know how I lived among you. You know how I was with you. I lived among you. Paul did not get a revelation of Jesus Christ to himself, have these wonderful understandings and be saved and then go and live in a monastery far away from the Christian world and write books for them for them to read. No, he says, I lived among you. I taught you. I taught in public and I taught among you at your houses. Paul was somebody who went out into the world living with Christians The Christian life is not one of holding ourselves up in a monastery. It is not one of being isolated from one another. It's lived together with each other. And Paul didn't consider himself a king or a pope. He considered himself a servant. He considered himself as somebody who lives among the people. Now that's a calling for me as your pastor to live among you. To not be one who isolates myself in my study five days a week, only to stand up here as someone you don't know, you haven't heard from, and you haven't talked to. But that is also a call to all of us that you ought to know me, you ought to know your elders, and you ought to know one another. That we don't live in isolation from one another. And we need courage to do that. It's not an easy task. It's hard to get together with people. We don't know each other. We forget each other's names. We don't remember the details of each other's lives. We also might be afraid to reveal truths about our lives for people to get to know us. We also may have people we think, I don't want to know the details of your life. It takes courage to do that. And that's what Paul sets himself out as an example of today, that he says, I didn't shrink back. I didn't hide. I didn't run away from the task that was ahead of me. But we need courage because the Christian life is also bold. It is a bold Christian life. 
Paul says that he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of Jews. And he continues on, and he, in verse 22 and following, he says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. We need courage to face this world that's ahead of us. Paul says, I don't know what I'm going to face except suffering. The only thing for Paul that was certain for him was beatings, imprisonment, going to jail. This is what Paul was certain of. Now that takes an enormous amount of boldness to face that kind of life. And we are Christians who are standing against the world. We see this. The world around is quickly and rapidly turning against Christians, ostracizing us, relegating us to second-class citizens. They think of what we believe as foolishness. It's absurd. Maybe some of the things that we believe and teach are good. They're helpful. Good morals are a good thing. But ultimately, we're somebody who's to be pushed off to the side. We might even be considered as religious zealots. You just need to calm down, Christians, about this Jesus. Keep quiet. Keep to yourselves. We, after all, do claim to believe in a man who of himself rose from the dead, from a grave after three days of being dead. That is absurd to the world outside of us. We're not only standing against the world, we're standing against sin. Paul declares that he declares the whole counsel of God. He doesn't shrink back from declaring everything that is profitable, and that he teaches repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows he's standing against sin, and to stand against sin requires boldness, because sinners love sin. They love to sin. It is their heart's desire to do whatever they want to do, regardless of the impacts. And they do not want to be confronted on it. They don't want to be challenged and told that they need to repent. They don't want Christians living lives of godliness around them, revealing to them that they are falling short. I wish you were not so kind. I wish you were not so friendly. I wish that your life wasn't so clean, because looking at you, I see a picture of my uncleanness. It requires boldness to live before this world. But there's something strange about what Paul says, is that who does he say he does not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God? He says, I do not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God to you. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. It's, just not, it's not just the world outside, but it is even among the church. That I, as your pastor, can be afraid of declaring everything in Scripture that is good for you. Because some of the things in Scripture are hard. They're difficult. They're hard to understand, but they challenge my own heart. And I might be afraid of what you would say in response to me. I don't like what you said today. That's a difficult thing to understand. How does this work? That doesn't make sense. Or... Pastor, that's not okay. Do you know how people will receive that? Do you know what that means for my life? 
And so I might be afraid. Your elders might be afraid. Even you might be afraid as you live your life among Christians. And Paul says that he was not afraid to declare to them. So we need courage for this Christian life. We need boldness so that we could be courageous in the face of the world outside and even amongst each other to declare and teach what is true and what is right. C.S. Lewis has an interesting quote about courage, about the nature of it and how it works. And he says this in his little book that is about two demons that are trying to trip up a Christian, Screwtape Letters, which is a fascinating book, not always the most perfect theology, but C.S. Lewis has some wonderful insights about the way of our inner lives work, to work, and he says this about courage. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of its highest reality. A chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions. Pilate, who condemned Jesus to to death, was merciful until it became risky. Once he realized the crowds were turning against him, his declaration that he found no guilt in Jesus, nothing worthy to be condemned of death, gave way before the crowds that were crying out, crucify him. See, courage is necessary for the Christian life because we need it in order to fulfill these callings that we have to be loving, to be kind, to be merciful, generous. And Paul, without courage, would have failed to declare the whole counsel of God. So we need courage for the Christian life. We need to be bold in the Christian life. We also need courage because the Christian life is a life that is humble. Now that seems like an odd thing. Need courage to be humble? Usually you need courage to be great. To step out and do mighty things. To be somebody who everybody looks to and says, you're an awesome person. But no, we actually need courage to be humble. See, our life as Christians is not one that it's marked by outward glory and triumph. And I fear that too many Christians today confuse the kingdoms of this world with the kingdoms of our God. We want Christianity to be influential. We want Christianity to transform the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of our God. They want Christianity to be honored, to be revered. And while this is a noble goal, this is a noble thing, that's not what Paul sets for us in this passage. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to Jerusalem to convince these leaders to change their political practices. What does Paul say that he is going to Jerusalem to do? He is going to Jerusalem to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He shows us a different course. He was a man set not on saving kingdoms. He was a man set on saving souls. Crossing land and sea to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that God saves sinners. And everywhere he went, people tried to kill him. They imprisoned him. They beat him. And Paul says, I'm certain that I'm going to face 
more of it. What was he constantly met with? Suffering. Now, lest we think that that is just reserved for the Apostle Paul, I want to read some passages to you from Scripture that this is the life of the Christian. Persecution should be expected in the Christian life. It is normal to be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. This is normal. And Paul is setting himself as a prime example. Now, we may not face the same kind of sufferings and persecutions that Paul faced, but persecutions and sufferings are bound to come to us as Christians. They may be small. It may be a coworker at work who avoids you because he doesn't want to talk to you knowing that you're a Christian. It may be a family member who says, I don't want to invite you over for dinner to the family dinner because we know where you stand. We know what you believe. It may be a friend that no longer relates with you. It may be somebody that makes fun of you, that mocks your faith and mocks your religion. But if the world treated Paul a prime servant of Jesus Christ, why would we expect anything different? Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world has hated Jesus Christ. And so it will hate his followers. So what does Paul say in the face of this? Does he say, hold up Christians, Go fill, your, go fill your refrigerators and your stockpiles full of food and hide away in the forests and run away from a society that hates you. What does Paul say? Does he avoid this? Does he run away? No, Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course, and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. I don't count my life as precious or of any value. If only I may testify to the grace of God. Paul says, no, I'm not here to preserve my life. I'm here to give my life away. If it means bringing people to salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is a humble life. It is a humility to say, I don't count my life of any value. And we need courage to do that. We need courage to say what Paul said. Not seeking to rule over others around us, but to persuade them. To persuade them of the truth that we believe. To show them the goodness of Jesus Christ. To persuade them of His love, regardless of how they treat us. Even if that means they lock us up in prison. As if prison were a place that would stop the Word of God. 
We would show them that we would give away our lives for their sake because we are people who know that Christ has given away his life for our sake. We want them to know salvation. So as Christians, this call to be those who give our lives away requires courage, and we need courage. And Paul sets out here an example of what courage looks like in his own life. Our second point this morning is that we all need God's Word. This is what Paul is pointing to in this passage. Now, I want to make a brief point of this, but this is the job of me as your pastor and your elders. Paul is speaking to the elders. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, and then he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock that God has made you overseers to care for it. Be careful. Wolves are coming. People are coming in who are going to bring false teaching. They're going to twist the words of Scripture. The essence of this passage is about what Paul is proclaiming and teaching. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you. Again, I do not count my life of any value in order that I may testify to the gospel. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And in the end of this passage, I have sh- in all these things I have shown you by working hard that this is how we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus. We need God's word. We need it week in and week out. We also need it because there are wolves, as Paul tells him. Wolves are a fierce and scary creature. I have never encountered one. I have a co-worker who one time was was camping out in Yosemite, or not Yosemite, in Yellowstone, in uh, Wyoming and Montana area. And he told us about when he was with his wife and his two sons, who were high school age, and one of the wolves, they could hear it howling off in the distance. There's a great plain in front of them about a mile across, and they could see the wolf howling and coming around. And he's in a tent, and he was very afraid because he thought, this thing could rip me apart. And Paul is saying to the church, there are wolves, there are people out here in this world who will come to tear your faith apart. And your defense against it, against them, and their false teaching is the Word of God. This is what is going to make you strong to fight against them. Paul also says that they will rise up among you. They will be people that you don't see coming. That at the beginning they may seem like faithful believers, but over time their words become corrupting. And Paul, in one sense, in the book of Galatians, even realizes that this is possible for himself. And he says to the Galatians, even if I or an angel from heaven were to come to you and proclaim a gospel contrary to you, let him be accursed. We must hold to the word of God. We need the word of God. But the last thing that we need, as those who will give our lives away, to each other in the church and to those outside us in the world is we need grace. 
And we need a lot of it. And listen to what Paul says. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Grace is able to build you up and strengthen you. How in the world does grace strengthen us for this task? Is grace just a medicine, something that we take, whether or not we think about it, whether or not we believe it works or not, it's just going to do its work? Is it just a magical power out there that we need to tap into, this grace that floats around? How does grace strengthen us for this task that is ahead of us? Well, grace is ultimately the favor of God. The favor of God poured out upon us. It's His favor that strengthens us. See, the world around us is constantly ready to heap their disapproval on you. This is what Paul felt in the church and why he didn't shrink back. Because he knew even Christians were capable of heaping disapproval on him. And he knew that he could fear that. He could fear the approval of other Christians. He could fear the approval of the world outside of him. And we can often think that our greatest danger is the disapproval of those around us. But they don't like us. It's a rather simple thing, but this is what the Pharisees feared the most. The crowds. They saw that the crowds were running to Jesus and that they were losing their position. People around us would say, I don't like you. It's a rather simple thing. But our greatest danger, our greatest threat is not the disapproval of people around us. Our greatest threat and our greatest danger is the disapproval of God. What does God think about me? What does God think about you? But Paul tells us that grace, the favor of God, is able to strengthen you. In the letter to the Romans, Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And this favor is the light of God's countenance shining upon us. It comes to us as people who have not only not deserved it, but as people who have spurned it. We have spurned God. We have turned away from Him and rejected Him. We have loved everything but God. We don't deserve His favor. We actually deserve the opposite. We deserve His judgment, His anger. His face turned away from us. We deserve, as you all well know, the silent treatment from God. And we all know what it feels like when we get the silent treatment. There's nothing to be said to turn them. But God shows His favor. He turns His face towards us, smiling, joyful, happy in us. God shows His favor towards us that He loves us, that He cares for us, that we belong to Him. 
that He looks upon us as those whom He cherishes, not as those whom He is angry with, those whom He does not approve of or dislikes. And that is what we need when we go and face a world around us that disapproves of us. That we need to know the favor of God for us. That God is with me. That God loves me. That God, His face is smiling upon me. He cares for me. That is what is going to give us the strength to face a world around us that's turned against us. When all else is against us, we know that God is for us. This we know that God loves us and that He cherishes us. And God has given this to us in the Gospel. The very thing that Paul says he was going to Jerusalem to proclaim. How do I know that God loves me? How do I know that He loves me? Because Jesus died on the cross for me. He gave himself up willingly. It was better to give than to receive. Jesus gave himself freely and willingly to us who did not deserve it. We didn't deserve any of it. But he gave himself to us. Dying for us. Suffering for us. Because he knew that we were dead. And he says, I want to make you alive so that you can know all my love, all my kindness upon you. And this love of Christ that is shown forth in the gospel is poured out richly in Jesus Christ. We need this gospel. We must continually hear this message because continually we go out week after week, day after day into a world that wants to rob us of this. A world that says, you don't measure up. And you don't. You know it. You go to work, you go to your family, you go to your friends, and you think, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. We read God's law this morning, and it shows you're not good enough. Not in yourself. And that's why you need this gospel. To strengthen you. Week after week. Day after day. That it is God's free, unmerited favor that he gives to you to shine his face upon you in love, calling you his child. And that is precisely what wolves want to rob us of. The wolves, they want to take it away. They want you to follow them, as Paul tells us. They would draw you after themselves, and they want to twist this. They want you to think that you can do this on your own. But we need grace. We need God's favor, His love. And lastly, we need grace to love one another. We cannot do this in our own strength, in our own power. We are too weak, and our brothers and sisters around us are too weak. They will fail you. I will fail you. We will fail each other. And the thing that will bind us as Christians together is not ultimately the law. It is grace and kindness and forgiveness. And Paul shows this, how to put this into practice. 
I do not count my life of any value. I didn't covet anyone's clothing, anyone's money. That's not what he's interested in. He can do this because regardless of what his life may look like, God's grace, God's favor is always on him. Regardless of how Paul looks, regardless of how much money he has or doesn't have, regardless of how nice his clothes are or not nice, no matter what condition he has in his life, he knows that God's favor is on him and with him wherever he goes, whatever he does. And so he says, I can give my life away. And that is the calling to us as Christians as well, as followers of Christ, that we can give our lives away because we have everything we need. We have God for us, God loving us. As Hebrews 13, 16, we can say, 16 says, we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear What can man do to me? What can man do to you if God is for you? Well, they can take your life away. But God will just raise you up from the dead the moment you die. There's nothing that man can ultimately do to you. So let us rejoice in the favor that God has given to us in the face of His Son, Jesus Christ, that He has poured out upon us freely, giving us everything that we need for this life. And that wherever we go, whatever trial we face, whatever unfavor we face from this world, that we can go as people who are strengthened by the grace of God. Rest in this today, Christian. Rest in the grace of God towards you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in the gift of forgiveness of sins and the gift of righteousness that you've given us in Jesus Christ so that you can smile upon us, that you can love us and care for us. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and that we can go courageously, we can go boldly in this world because we have received grace from you. Work this in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.